back. I was up here only a couple months ago. It usually takes me about a year um, to get back up on the pulpit. I don't know if you remember, but a um, little more than a year ago, I was asked to fill the pulpit uh, just before New Year's Day, and uh, we talked about uh, saying yes to God. And uh, part, of, uh, part of what we talked about uh, that particular Sunday was the key to accessing God's richest blessing, discerning God's will for our lives, being connected to God in unimaginable ways, and making a significant difference in this world. There is a key for all of that. And the key was a simple answer, which was simply say yes to God. If we're willing to say yes to God, then all of that can happen. And that's what that, that's what that first message was about. Then we fast forward a year later to uh, the last Sunday in um, 2018 uh, when I preached and I had a part two to that message. So we did say yes to God part two. Now when I did part two, I didn't know if there was going to be a part three, um, but we'll just see where, where God directs. But I don't know if you remember part two. We took the idea of saying yes to God deeper by saying yes as our unconditional surrender to God's will. At one point, I used a visual of laying down our weapons. Remember, a weapon is anything that interferes with us being able to unconditionally surrender to God's will. So I'm kind of a reflective person. So after that, after that message, I was reflecting on those weapons I, I was laying down. And um, I, I have to confess that one of the most difficult weapons for me to lay down is the weapon of needing to be in control. You know, as a father, as a husband, as a principal at an elementary school, as an elder, it feels like I just want to be in control. And when I can't control it, that's when, I, that's when I'm most troubled. So I recognize that that's a weapon that I need to lay down. So here it is. This is, this is my weapon. This is, this is my weapon of needing to be in control. And this is a weapon I think every day I have to really just practice on laying down. So I'm going to lay it down. All right. This is my need to be in control, which is a weapon that has to, I have to lay it down to surrender. You can't have a weapon on you when to surrender to the Lord. So, uh-oh, we'll get those later. Something funny always happens when I'm doing this kind of stuff. All right, finally laid that weapon down. You can see how difficult it is for me to lay down that weapon of needing to be in control. I don't know what it is for you. We all probably have weapons that are very difficult for us. That, for me, is like the hardest one. And I think for me to do that, I'm going to have to to do that every uh, single day. So it's not easy, right, uh, to give up control. But it's absolutely necessary for unconditional surrender to God's control. He is sovereign. He is God. The best thing we can do is to give in to him completely. So that was, that was part two. So saying yes to God, part one. Saying yes to God, part two. And of course, you know what's coming. Saying yes to God, part three. That's today. Now, I don't know if there's going to be a part four yet, but 
we'll see. Maybe a year from now we'll get on to, we'll get on to part four. And actually, this, this message came out of the last one, and I was actually challenged to cut some things out of my message because sometimes I have a tendency of going a little bit long. So as I was trimming some things out of my message, I took a big piece out that I thought was really important, uh, a really important idea, which led to uh, today's message, which is this. Say yes to God even when he says no. So part three, say yes to God even when he says no. So to start with, I think we need to establish the fact that God sometimes says no. And to do this, we're going to look at four pretty familiar texts, pretty familiar stories of when God says no. The first one is when God said no to Moses. I think we know, I'm not going to read the whole text, I think a lot of us know the story. Moses was called to lead, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And now they got to the river and they were ready to cross the river and enter the promised land. And God took Moses up on a mountain and he said, hey, take a look, because you're not going there. He said, because when I asked you to speak to the rock, you struck the rock. You did not honor me when I told you uh, to speak to the rock. You struck the rock, and because of that, you're not crossing the Jordan and entering the promised land. God very clearly said, no, don't you think Moses was entitled after all that work and trouble to experience the joy of entering the promised land? But God told him no. And then we have another story. This, when God said no to David. And if you want to, uh, I was going to give you those references, I'm sorry, without looking. The first one was found in Deuteronomy 32, 48 to 52. If you want to read that encounter, you can go there. You don't have to do that now, but if you want to write it down, you can check it out. That's when God said no to Moses. When God said mo, uh, no to David, you can find that in 1 Chronicles 28, 1 to 3. I, if I can't see the first one was Deuteronomy 32, 48 to 52. This one is 1 Chronicles 28, 1 to 3. And once again, I think you know this story too. Because David, I think he was led by God. He had a wonderful idea. He's like, you know what? There needs to be a house to worship, right? A house for, that, that brings honor to God. We need to build this, this great tabernacle. And David laid out all the plans. And he had all these ideas for building this tabernacle, right? It was his idea. Well, God led him, right? But shouldn't he, have the, shouldn't he be the one to build this tabernacle? But what we find here is that God said no to David. He said, you shall not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. So as you know, uh, his son Solomon ended up building uh, the, the tabernacle. And... David never got to realize the plans that he had made. And he put a lot of preparation, preparation into that. But there's an example of when God said no to David. Let's look at a couple more. When God said no to Paul, and I'm going to read this passage because it's so critical to what we're talking about today. And you can find this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And it's about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Here's what it, here's what it says. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. <clears throat> and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we really don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some people think it might have been his eyesight because he was blinded. I don't know. That's, that kind of makes sense. But we don't know what it was. Could have been a physical ailment of some... He kind of viewed it as Satan's way of tormenting him, right? He was tormented by something. And he implored, he, he prayed to God on three separate occasions for this to be taken away from him. But God said no. He did not take it away from him. And Paul lived with a thorn in, in his flesh for the rest of his life. So there's three cases. But as you know, God himself also said no to his own son, Jesus. And we find that story, and Jim's referred to this a couple times already to, uh, to make a different point, but um, that's found in Luke 22, 41 to 44. This is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying just before his, his crucifixion. And it says this, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying fervent, very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Now not only was Jesus the Son of God, he knew how to pray. I think he prayed for a solid hour. He was sweating so much it was like drops of blood. He was weeping, he was wailing, right? This is the kind of prayer that God, I mean, that Jesus did before his own father. And yet, God said no. He still needed to go to the cross. He still needed to fulfill this purpose. God said no to his own son. Now, we can spend a lot more time on each of these stories and learn many lessons and ideas from each one, but that's for another time. The point today is to establish the fact that God does sometimes say no. If God said no to Moses, David, Paul, and even Jesus, then he certainly will to us. So the logical next question that most of us have then is why? Why does God say no? Now I need to say something about the bulletin insert that you have because I'm challenged by that. Barb wants that by Wednesday every week. And I probably go through about 20 revisions between Wednesday and Sunday morning by the time we get here. So you can try your best to fill in things, but I don't know how many points are in this one, but it probably doesn't match with what I'm going to say. So there's a good place to take notes there. Um, but just so you know, if you're trying to fill in the blank or match up the letters, it won't match up. So you don't have to be distracted by it. You can just, you can just listen, and if you need to take notes, there's plenty of room. So we do need to, we do need to con, uh, think about the first one, and it's clear from when we looked at the story of Moses and we looked at the story of David that God does choose to say no sometimes as a consequence, right? 
He said no to Moses as a consequence for striking the rock. He said no to, he said no to David as a consequence for the war and bloodshed that was part of, part of who he was. So because of that, you guys, I'm saying no. It's very clear from Scripture. So we have to consider the fact that that's why God sometimes says no. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 7 to, to uh, 11 refers to God as um, a loving father's discipline, right? It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So clearly, one of the reasons why God says no is to discipline us as, his loving, as a loving father. But I, would, I need to pause here for a minute because we need to be careful and, and, and not make the mistake that every time God says no, it's because he's trying to discipline us and that every time he says no, it's because of a consequence. There are many, many reasons why God says no, right? And most of them are beyond our comprehension. As a matter of fact, and here's where I, here's where, where, when I was going through the outline, I think I had like seven points, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is the wrong question. Why is the wrong question, right? The desire to know why reveals a lack of trust. Needing to know why is like picking up that weapon and having some level of control. If I just knew why God was saying no. Does anyone have a situation in their life where you're praying, you're praying fervently, maybe like God, I got one right now. I have a sister who had a kidney and pancreas transplant in October, and she was in and out of intensive care for three or four months dealing with infections. And I'm like, God, this is clearly in your will. You've healed people. You're going to keep healing people. Certainly you can heal my sister, and we will bring you honor and glory for the great thing that you've done. And I'm going to tell you what happened to my sister. Her pancreas and kidney are both dead now. She's back to being a dialysis patient, doesn't even know if she's going to be uh, an eligible transplant patient, transplant patient again. That's bad news. And I can tell you hundreds, probably thousands of people have been praying for my sister. So I want to say, God, why? Why don't you answer this prayer? If I knew why, I think I would have a little bit more control. I don't know. But you know what? God wants us to keep, he wants us to keep throwing these things down because knowing why would be like picking up 
that weapon of needing to be in control. Consider what it says <clears throat> in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Because knowing why would, would be like us understanding the mind of God. It would be like us understanding the ways of God, which are foolish and impossible. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than yours. See, if I think I wanted, I so desperately want to know why, so I can try to understand the mind of God. But I'm not God. He is. So he just wants me to surrender. Surrender my sister. Surrender whatever it is. And be, and be content with whatever it is that God's teaching us. See, God has a better plan and a greater purpose, which are not limited by our own understanding or even our own lifetime. Think about Moses and, and uh, David again. God did what he said he was going to do, just not during their lifetime. We like, to, we like to limit God to what we know. And that's not how God operates. Um, look what Paul concluded when God said no to him about his thorn in the flesh. And I won't read that passage again. I read it once. But his, here's what Paul's conclusion was after God said no to him. He said... This was to keep him from exalting himself. He said that God's grace was sufficient, that power is made perfected in weakness, that the power of Christ may dwell in him, and he learned to be content with God's answer. That's what he says right in that passage. So the question shouldn't be why, but what is God teaching me by saying no? Why is the wrong question? You see, God's way is the only way. Remember what Pastor Jim, what Pastor Jim's point was when he did the um, is Christianity too narrow question? He used the Luke 22, 41 to 44 passage, and I'm going to read that again. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. Jim said, don't you think if there was another way, God would have said yes? John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. There is only one way. God had only one way. He clearly would have come up, come up with something different than to torture his own son and put him through that, that brutal death. Once we realize this truth, then asking why doesn't seem like the right question. It's not nearly as important. All right, so let's, let's move on. There's, I think it's, it can be very easy to have uh, some false assumptions when God says no. So let's dispel a few of these false assumptions. This won't take long. The first one is that God is not listening. And I've I went back to a passage and it was like, oh my goodness, this is talking about the very passage we just looked at when Jesus was asking God to remove this cup from him. Because it says in Hebrews 5, 7, 
In the days of his flesh, so it's talking about Jesus, the days of his flesh is when he was on earth as a man, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. He knew that God was able to save him from this. Tears and supplication. Earlier it says he was in agony. And he was heard because of his piety. So even though God didn't say yes, this writer clearly points out that he was heard. So just because God says no doesn't mean he's not listening. A couple other passages which I'm going to pass on right now. But you can find many that talks about the fact that God hears us when we pray. The next one is that God does not care. This is exactly what the disciples thought. I don't know if you remember this story. There was a storm. Jesus was asleep in the boat. Listen to what his disciples said. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they, the disciples, uh, said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So it's kind of a natural reaction, right, when we, when we get that answer, to just say God doesn't care. But that couldn't be further from the truth. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. He always cares for us. As a matter of fact, I think it's because he cares for us so much and he knows what's best for, that, for us is, is, is one of the reasons we're going to get the answer no. Because he loves us and he cares for us. All right? Um, and the last thing, the last, the last I, uh, assumption I want to dispel is that God didn't do anything, right? It feels like that sometimes. I pray and I pray and God just didn't do anything. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth either. As a matter of fact, you go back to the story of Jesus, right? Because this is what we want. This is what we sometimes say when God doesn't do what we want him to do. So, but let's look at the story of Jesus again. All right, and he withdrew from them. Third time reading this, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I sometimes stop there. The very next phrase is, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Oh, God did do something. He said no to his own son, but he sent an angel to strengthen him so he could do what was in God's plan. So whether, whether he's doing what we want him to do or not, God clearly is a God of action and is doing something. All right? It just wasn't what we wanted to do. And he does the same for us. He's doing something. It might just not fit what we want. So we're... So hopefully that helps in terms of just dispelling some of those false assumptions. I think if we're not careful, if we're not totally uh, surrendered to his will, these, these false assumptions can creep in. So what do you do then? What do you do when God says no? Right, I have just three simple things that hopefully will help. Three things to do. I think there's actually three points in that, in that bulletin on, for this one, so this might match. So The first one is don't lose heart. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 16. 
4, 16 and 17 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So no matter what's happening out here with us or whoever, it's like, he's saying, don't lose heart. Keep the faith. All right. The second one is keep praying. So just because he says no doesn't mean we should stop praying. Now, Paul did, he implored three times, and I've learned the secret, but there's a lot of other things. Keep praying. There's nothing wrong with praying. He wants us to pray. Keep praying and keep seeking his will. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We should never stop praying. Pray always. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to ask. He wants us to seek him. So keep praying. Don't lose heart and keep praying. And of course, third one, keep saying yes. That's the key. That's the key to all of it. Keep saying yes. When God says, come to me, just say yes. When God says, believe me, just say yes. When God says, trust me, just say yes. When God says, follow me, just say yes. When God says, honor me, just say yes. When God says, listen to me, just say yes. When God says, talk to me, just say yes. And when God says, get to know me, just say yes. When you say yes, life gets less complicated. When you say yes, you experience less stress and worry and anxiety. When you say yes, your mindset and perspective changes from what is temporary to what is eternal. When you say yes, you have peace. When you say yes, you have the assurance that you are part of God's family and that your eternity is secure in him. So why not start saying yes this morning? If you would like some help, please join us up front. The elders and the deaconesses are always available uh, for prayer. And let's go to him in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this strong encouragement from your scripture. It is clear that you say no to us sometimes. And yet we are to remain steadfast in our relentless pursuit of you and just giving up to your will, Father. Help us to do that. I know it's hard. It's hard every single day. If there's anyone here today who has never said yes for the very first time to you, maybe today would be that day. We ask you to encourage their hearts and allow them to say yes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come to the time in our service where we'll receive the morning offering, ask the ushers to come. Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege of supporting your work in this world 